There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now I've done some scary stuff in my life. I've been to war zones. I've been shot at. I've come under mortar attack. I've even interviewed Donald Trump. But nothing prepared me for the most terrifying assignment of all. Could I learn stand-up comedy and make a room full of people laugh? I'm journalist Simon Houston and this is my journey. And over these eight episodes, I'll be picking the brains of the best in the business as I aim to crack the laughter game. And could I possibly achieve the ultimate goal? Taken to the stage at the world's biggest comedy festival? This is Laughter Unlocked. This podcast from the Scottish Sun is brought to you in association with Harry Corey Interiors for all your home furnishing needs. Visit harrycorry.com or pop into one of our many stores nationwide. For this episode, I'm joined by two of Scotland's best-loved stand-up comedians, Raymond Mearns and Scott Agnew. Raymond started doing comedy in 1994, and he's performed regularly all across the UK and internationally, where he is noted for his ability to deliver sharp observational material. He inspired a young Kevin Bridges and was described by Frankie Boyle as an improvisation genius. Scott is a critically acclaimed stand-up comedian and compere from Glasgow. He's also performed around the UK and beyond. This former journalist is a previous winner of the Scottish Comedian of the Year Award and is regarded as one of the best storytellers in the business. Raymond and Scott. Nice to see you. Good to have you with us. Yeah, nice to be here, Simon. Scott, you're looking well, and the reason I say that is because those <laughs> people who know you will know that you've not had your troubles to seek health-wise. Did I survive a heart attack? Uh, survived a heart attack. Heart attack and three cardiac arrests, which, you know, I, I learned for the first time that they weren't the same thing. So, uh, so, I had, so I had a heart attack and my heart stopped three times in the back of the ambulance so I've now got a five centimetre stent in my the, the right main artery apart from being a horrific fright do you feel do you feel better I feel better than what I had done do you know uh, I'd been kind of lumbering a bit for about three four years but um and not entirely sure what was I guess everything was an effort and everybody just went you're just becoming you're just a lazy you're just a lazy bastard you know and turns out I had like an 80% 90% blockage in my in my artery you know on the day it happened, you were telling me earlier that you walked into the into the hospital. You walk, you walked into the resource room. Effectively, I no because I'd had COVID, right? So I'd spent ten days with COVID. I'd been self isolating, and actually, I'd missed my godmother's funeral the day before. I was supposed to, so it could have been worse. I could have been carrying her coffin. So man, it's a, so everybody's actually quite glad I never turned up to carry the coffin because I would have scalped it, and the, and oh she was an God. actress, so she'd have been raging if I'd upstaged her. I I, I walked in because I thought. Mm, I think it's my lungs, you know, because I've just had the COVID. I've got a sex-related injury in my left arm. I've always got pain in that arm anyway. So. Hang on, we cannot let well, that pass well, without... without it, it, what are you talking about? Can I tell you that story? That'll be for Laughter Unlocked After that, Dark. After the, Dark. The second uh-huh. series. So there's always, a, there's always a pain in this kind of left arm anyway. So that, that didn't give away the heart attack. But what did give away the heart attack was very tight jaws. You know, the kind of, kind of jaws folk end up with after a weekend at tea in the park or something right. when they used to go you know? what do you mean a tight jaw uh, I'm, I'm just wondering if I've got any of these symptoms uh, clenching your teeth 
you know, continually, and you get that really tight, you know, as a well, few. Well, must be all right then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, apparently that's quite common. This is more it's a more common symptom in women, which is why a lot of men don't know about it. But when you went into hospital and explained that you had this, you had the tight jaw uh-huh. and, and everything else that was going on. Straight through triage. They said, right, you're in a bad way. Uh, you you're in a bad way. Straight in the triage, they stuck the ECGs on me, and I'm boiling away at the woman and expecting to be sort of made of, you know. <laughs> so, so you were probably fortunate that you had your heart attack in the world capital of heart attacks. I did have the, the, the world capital of heart attacks and um, probably quite useful I had a cardiac arrest and an ambulance because yeah. they were they were, were defibrillating yeah, stuff there. so I'd done that three times uh, stuck the stent in and then three weeks later because I, I was joining the, the cardiac rehab group which I'm the youngest person there by about 20 years yeah. right? wow they're all in their 60s and I was trying to keep up with them going around Alexandra Park and managed to faint because we attempted a hill because right? <laughs> I was getting shown up by this particularly fit 61 year old and I'm there at 40 like that it's oh, alright I'll try and keep up we'll be fine I'll keep up and then talking to him we went up a hill and then I couldn't hear him and then that was me biting the back of an ambulance again so. cardiac arrest rehab group can they get out and go you actually go out you all go out and just keep you go, fit and uh, you, just go for a, you just go for a, a walk with uh, an ambulance following you all just in no, case no no <laughs> the woman had, the, the, uh, Natalie and Caroline the, the physio and the rehab nurse uh, they've been both been doing it for three years and I might be one of their youngest patients and I was the first person that required an ambulance you're looking good and you're you're feeling better and two stone lighter because so, I've been able to walk and do things that I wasn't able to do for three years so. you're off the cigarettes and drinking less off the cigarettes had to stop drinking um, kind of doing sort of vegetarian stuff there's no being a drop of chips and cheese it's miserable Scott you were saying that you told your pals not to send you jokes anymore 20 years ago it was quite common round robin jokes and emails and text messages and things like that and 9 times out of 10 you would have heard them somewhere else anyway and I also don't know how you react to a joke via text message or email. You, you know? go, lol. PMSL. <laughs> 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 you know, my comedy's sort of founded in being very honest, you know, so I just sent them nothing back and let them deal with it. LOL can have all sorts of hazards as well. I remember a situation where my... Uh, my, my brother sent a, a, an old friend of his a text to say that a relative had died and, and she replied, LOL. And I thought, it's all of it. She meant lots of love. Lots of love. Oh, people do that. I've heard that. So that was the question in the intro. Can comedy be taught, Raymond? Well, yes, you can teach the rudiments of it, but it's a bit like training a soldier and then he goes into battle. So you can teach him to shoot and defend and whatever, but the minute in the heat of battle... His ass collapses and then he, he bolts. It's comedy's a bit like that. Okay, <laughs> we're not fighting the Taliban or anything, but you've you've no. you've got all your stuff. No, you've we, wrote we, all your we material. We aren't fighting the Taliban. <laughs> That's how Boris fully have the it. So what? It's a bit like yeah, you've you've got yourself a wash. You've put your good jumper on. You've practiced your mic technique and you've got your. But then. You've got to go on stage and make it happen. So the technical side of it, you can improve. Easy. You can improve. You, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah and absolutely. That's the, the, like, the kind of stage craft. Is yeah, it, is you've just got to go and practice it, I suppose. It's like anything. You learn the rudiments of it and practice makes perfect. Now, what will happen is, unless you're delusional or mental, right, and you go into three gigs a week for the next year and nobody laughs. Now, at the end of it, you could go, no, my fault, they don't get me. Now, that would be a magnificent thing because that means you're going to plough on. You know you know my background, you know my story. I, and, and, and I'm going to hopefully, that's the aim to maybe do five minutes at Edinburgh in August. That's my, that's my plan, uh-huh. that's my dream. 
What advice would you give me? And be kind. Just be funny. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> how, <laughs> be funny? How, do, how do you do that? Well, you just give them a wee bit. And it, what you do is very simple. You just give them you. Mm. You tell them the truth. And then you say one thing and then say something completely different. It's called the left turn. That's what a joke is. It's a setup and a punchline. Say one thing, then say something completely different. And, and you've also got the advantage that you're already a, sto- a storyteller. You know, as a journalist, you know how to craft and construct a story. I, I wonder though whether that's my downfall a wee bit. Do you think so? Because I become so dependent on a script. I write no, what no, I no. think maybe a beautiful but script. That's what you've got to do. You see, you can't. If you think that you can maybe go on stage and then do a brilliant five minutes of riffing and improv, I think that's unlikely. I think, I think, you're I think it's right. unlikely. You're, your whole insurance policy will be to write a five minute set and then practice it and get good at it, good at delivering it. You see, it's a bit like we said before about training a soldier. You can train him and he's super fit and give him a uniform and a rifle and all the equipment, but in the heat of battle, if his ass collapses, something or goes he freezes, wrong. Yep. then yep. he's ineffective. You've got to just go in and engage with that audience. It's dead simple. So long as you remain confident and you know the structure of what it is you're about to do, the same way as you would know the structure of the story you're about to write as you're writing it. You see, if they don't laugh, they've at least heard a nice wee story. A nice wee story. That they, it's a bit like reading Reader's Digest or something. You know, you know The theme hasn't been completely wasted. The beauty of what we're doing in this series is that we're, we're going to be throughout it telling what are believed to be some of the best jokes ever. I've been doing an awful lot of research over the last few weeks, looking at the, the winners of various polls, all the, the jokes that were that were given the, the award, prestigious award of the joke of the fringe mm-hmm. for the last 10 years. Some of them are quite surprising, actually, I have to say. We can talk about them as we go, but the list I have in front of me, one or two surprised me that I thought, hmm, that's okay, but is that genuinely the best joke that's been told in Edinburgh? That becomes quite a debate, you know, amongst comics at the fringe, you know, because it's really just a lot of bitter comics going, They've hired a really good publicist to get them that award. <laughs> so, you think so? so? So folk just get really better. I mean, about. but some of them, are, I mean, I, some fair, of them are good. Fair, fair. I think some of them are very good. I some mean, the 2015 one, one, I've just deleted all the German names off my phone. Now it's hands free. That's great. <laughs> That's a great joke. Well done to Darren Walsh for that yeah. one. 2017. I'm not a fan of the new pound coin, but then again, I hate all change. Great. Do you like that? Yeah. Maybe I'm too picky. No, it's great. It's it's about it's about change, and you're talking about. You see, the change means two things. It means most people don't like change. I get that. And he's talking about <laughs> and he's talking about a poker full of shrapnel. But that's the nature of a joke. I that's do. what a joke I, is. I, 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 I get I get that. I understand. If I didn't get that, then I'd, I'd be in trouble. But <laughs> but I'm still thinking I'm one of some of the greatest comed- greatest comedians in the planet in the one city, and that's that's the best. All right, I'm going to get lynched. This, this is on the presumption that you have got the greatest comedian to plan out the fringe. I, I know. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> but we'll, 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 we can revisit those. And I hope you've got your kind of memory caps on because at the end of the end of the show, we're going to decide which is the funniest joke we've heard. Tell us about the, the difference between a, a stand-up comedian doing a kind of observational routine and a stand-up comedian who just stands up and then tells rapid-fire jokes. And I'm thinking of someone like Tim Vine, for example. Not everyone goes down that road. Why is that? Well, observational comedy is different insofar as it's... The comedian's the filter. It's how you see the world determines how the material comes out and whether that could be... It could be quite surreal or it might be absurd or it might be sort of very black or it might be, you know, very optimistic type of stuff. It's just the way you kind of put it out there and, and, and it's often observational stuff is personalised so most people have kind of got their own agenda and most people are 
I think some people, when they go up on stage, and I can only speak for myself, you're trying to make sense of your world. And what you're doing is you're sharing with that audience in front of you to try and almost be therapeutic for yourself. And so you're putting your experience out there. And what I do personally is I observe my own life. I'm very kind of self-absorbed that way. I don't observe anybody else's life. And I observe my own life. And, I, and my life is sometimes a disaster. And it's a disaster because of the crazy life choices I make. And what happens is, I think how what Adi works at times is people go, oh, thank God you're telling us this because I thought it was just me. It was a mad spanner, right? It's you as well. <laughs> you're giving me permission to laugh at myself, almost. When you're observing, where you're observing yourself or where you're observing something else. You know, like Billy Connolly was the greatest Adi. He would observe just things. Like the thing about the menu where he was up in this cafe in Royal Deeside when he used to live up at that Canda Creek house. And it, and it was, it was this cookbook from the Lady of Bradalbin or something, right? It says, venison pie. There's something to make with that leftover venison. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Big Conley, as he beautiful, was going, ah, I remember my days in party. He's going, get, get that stag seed. I can't get a fridge shot for it. Like, do you know what I mean? That's beautiful. Because what, what he's observing there, I mean, to Lady of the, you know, Marcus of Bradalbin or whatever, whoever wrote the book, that's kind of not with that leftover venison, right? It's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's a, not ridiculous in her life. I've it's got ridiculous a, to us. One of my favourite jokes, and it's it's a Conley joke, it was on the Atlantic Bridge album, which would have been, I think, in the mid-70s or something. And it's just it's straightforward. Man walks into the bar, says to the barman, hey, how come this pub's called the Homosexual Arms? And the barman says, hold on, I'll ask the wife. Oh, Harry. Right. <laughs> that was probably one of the first times I'd heard the word homosexual. Didn't quite know what it means, but also... It's not a punch and down, and I'm going, actually, that sounds like a nice wee place that wherever this pub is, <laughs> the barman either doesn't know he's gay and none of the regulars give a monkeys. That must be a cracking wee place. So there's something quite warm about that, Joe. But I'm glad you mentioned Billy Conley because, you know, when I'm discussing with people that that were doing this series and, and I talk about my, my favourite comedian of all time, Billy Conley's right up there. But Billy Conley, I don't always remember for jokes. No, he's an observer. You talked about observational comedy and that's what... Billy Connolly does. He observes f the human condition and what he does is he points out the ridiculousness of our condition and he, he gives us absolutely 100% permission to laugh at ourselves. That's what Billy Connolly does. We take our lives far, far, far too seriously and what Billy does is he goes, have you actually really looked at this? And we've all went, that's brilliant. <laughs> of, of course you're right. Because he calls it, he likes to talk about life with your pants down, you know, and, it's, and it's just that, that kind of, beautiful. When you're, that's when you're at your most vulnerable, you're most ridiculous. And that's what observational comedy, I think, does. That's what laughter does, it, it kind of tries and lightens your load. And if at the same time you can go, why have I been so stressed about that? Why have I been worrying about that? When, see, be honest, don't sweat any of that stuff, because at the end of the day it doesn't matter, it's not that important. But you, what he was good at was, he, he would generally, you ever seen him live, so I threw out the bigger routines. He would sort of pepper it with kind of wee jokes that he remembered that from folk he knew, or, you know, and, and it could literally be from somebody he met at the butchers to, oh, I was talking to Michael Caine, do you know what I mean? Like, so he would take jokes literally from anywhere, but he always, he always credited them as well. So that was, you would get these big 40, 50 minute stories, but they were peppered with these wee thoughts and jokes when he happened to be I, at the I, BAFTAs. I watched them on YouTube yesterday uh, telling a Hector Nickel joke. Oh, see, I've do you know the one I mean? Is it a yeah, real I've, signalman joke? Right, do, do you know, know that joke? Oh, do you know that's a great joke. Do, do you know it well enough to tell it? You come aye, tell aye, it. a guy gets a job in the railway. A guy gets a brand new job, first day on the railway. And he's a signalman. He's in the signal box. 
He says, right, that's your first day, you've been trained. Do, do you know what you do? Right, if there's two trains heading towards each other, what do you do? I see a powder first lever. Brilliant. Right, what happens if you pull the first lever and nothing happens? Oh, that's fine. We've got a contingency. I pull the second lever. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Right. And what if nothing happens and if his train still coming towards you? says, that's great. Well, we've got the third lever. Absolutely. You are the man. And what if you, when the three levers are pulled, it's still saying, well, I now go and get my brother Wally. He says, How, why would you go and get your brother Wally? Because he's never saw a train crash. <laughs> <laughs> You <laughs> see, that's one that I'd, I've heard so many times over the years, but I couldn't have told you it was Hector Nichols. I mean, it's good I to don't put... know how much of his stuff was his stuff. I knew his manager, a guy who managed him. And we were just sitting talking to his manager, and the manager says, he just happened to mention, and uh, Hector and I went down to Blackpool to go and get material. It, right. it was normal, I think, in that side of the business to uh, go down to the north of England. And go and listen to a show and sit there and write it all down. And so the internet's changed all that. And plagiarism now is something that is... I mean, can you imagine if you stood up at the stand in Glasgow and Monkey Barrel in Edinburgh and, st- and told a joke that belonged to another comedian? What would, what would happen? Oh, they would all... Oh, they would, you would be... The green room your, would be filled Your ears would be burning. They would be talking uh-huh. behind your uh-huh. back, something terrible. And unless oh, you can... Unless, unless, You'd be the talk of the steamy. Unless you can bring your checkbook out and buy the thing. <laughs> but you can't really copyright jokes. No. The thing is, there's nothing to stop anybody kind of stealing your material, but what would happen is, in the business, if if somebody blatantly stealing material, they probably will not get booked. No. People, oh, the world will get ruined. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the jungle drums. <laughs> a joke <laughs> thief at large. Generally. Uh, and then you would you would never get, you, you would never get kind of booked again, so. I'm, I'm not suggesting any of you guys are predate the internet, so I'm not suggesting that you remember a time I've been a stand-up comedian before. Oh, I was a stand-up comedian. We I, used to send jokes by smoke signal. <laughs> Carrier pigeon. Oh, you've no idea. Honestly, my, my first poster was said wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's a great joke. I just does. What? No, seen a, seen a wanted poster. Have you seen this man? I phoned up and said no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell this one that is regularly, and you, you Google this because it pops up time and time again. And it's regarded as the greatest joke of all time. The readers digest polls, various other things like that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do my very best to, you know, do it justice. And then I'd like to get your thoughts on it. It's very scientific, this. So two hunters are out in the wood, out in the woods when one of them collapses. He's not breathing and his eyes are glazed. The other guy whips out his cell phone and calls 999. I think my friend is dead, he yells. What can I do? And the operator says, calm down. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's silence. And then a gunshot back on the phone. The guy says, okay, now what? <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, Would you be proud of that? That's, that's a great joke. That's a great joke. But there's there's another one here which I think is funnier. This guy, he sees this sign and it reads, talking dog for sale. So the guy says, what? Have we look at this. He walks in and then he looks at the dog, straight at the dog, and he says to the dog, well, what have you done with your life? And the dog says, well, I, I was actually trained by the Swiss Army and I was in the Alps, like rescuing people. And then I served my country in Iraq. And actually, just recently, I was here in Germany, kind of rescuing people out of, the, out of the floods. And the guy went there, and he says, it's amazing. He turns to the owner and says, why would you get rid of such an amazing animal? He went, he's a lying bastard. <laughs> he never done any of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Hector Nicholas, he's just another one of these jokes. I thought this was funny. He says, there's a guy, there's a guy, he's streaking. He's running along the country lane, he's, he's streaking. And here there's a bee buzzing about his nether regions. He went, oh, I hope that doesn't he? Boy, just stung him right in the thing, my Bob, you know what I mean? So this thing swelled up to an enormous size and he carried it to the doctor and he went, doctor, what can I take for this? He went, if I'd won that, I wouldn't take a million pounds for it. He says, but anyway, the point is, doctor, look, I've, 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 I'm going out with a, a, a bird tonight. I need this fixed. He says, well, I can't do it. I can put it in splints. So he, he, he wraps it up and puts it in splints and that night he's in the hotel and the, the young woman comes in and she takes her clays off and says, look at that, untouched by the human hands. And he says, get a shuffle of that, it's not even out the crate yet. <laughs> <laughs> this one I'm about to tell uh, is a Peter K, and it was up there at number two in one particular list that I saw. But I met a Dutch girl with inflatable shoes last week. I phoned her up to arrange a date, but unfortunately she had popped her clogs. <laughs> great. Peter K is phenomenal. He doesn't tell a lot of jokes. Again, he's a great observer of his life in, you know, the North Island in Bolton, you know, painting these beautiful pictures of him and all his family and what he got up to. The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corey. Harry Corey. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50. Pillows from only £6. And lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corry Winter Sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorry.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corry, the curtain bedding specialist. So what are you getting any more for us? I get into comedy through my grandfather sort of doing Chick Murray routines at me, right? I never thought the jokes were ever as good as the routines. I would much prefer these kind of longer extended routines. And the jokes that get quoted, you go, ah, they're good, but I don't think they're given... You need to see them in context. You need to see him yeah, perform them. Yeah, such a wonderful kind of posh pan loaf delivery. But it was, we went to a wedding. We went to a wedding and the cake came out and there was candles on the cake. And I said to my wife, I says... Heaven forbid, there's a wedding and there's candles on the cake. She says, I know, chick, it's the, it's the bride, it's, it's her birthday as well. Oh, she married on her birthday. I said, I don't know where she hates she was, but the heat was desperate. <laughs> <laughs> After I told my wife that black underwear turned me on, she didn't wash my wife runs for a month, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was just uh, awesome. I, mean, I know. I did a, a comedy cover night, right? I performed as Chick Murray. Oh, fantastic. Prior to that, I went through to see Annabelle, which was his daughter, uh, through in Edinburgh. Lovely night, showed me through some of her stuff, her dad's artefacts, and she went, her tip was, she went, thing was, my dad never ever stood on a laugh, right? He never stood on a laugh. He waited, he knew his material was good enough, right? That he would wait, he went and he had a wee routine, but he would, he would fix his bonnet, stroke his ear, sort his bow tie, and then fix his cuff link. And by the time he'd done everything, they'll have got the joke and they'll have laughed, right? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I was in the middle of this particular routine and I'm supposed to be him, but inside it's still you. And I'm going, this is dying in its arse, right? And the line was, it was talking about the, the Scottish doctor that came into the waiting room, done a handstand, and he had a kilt on. And the line was, I mean, <clears throat> he got back to his feet, because I knew there was only so long he could stand in his Germans. And there was silence in the room, right? Complete silence in the room. And it's the only time I've ever experienced this where the laugh came from the back of the room and everybody got it coming forward. The, the, the laugh hit me. Because somebody at the back of the room went, Germans, hands Brilliant, ah, right? Right, 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 <laughs> and right, the right. rest of the room got it, and it was weird. It was strange. Oh, that, I, I was. Yeah, well, I'm glad you explained that. I was. I, 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 I was going to say. Didn't get that. No, no I didn't get that. It, to be fair, it probably needed the seven minutes of build up before it. I, I mean, had a couple flicks in a dicky bow. I know. Trying to keep it brief for here, you know. <laughs> right, and I never, okay. <laughs> a far, a far quicker uh, Chick Murray classic is uh, it was raining cats and dogs. I fell into a poodle. <laughs> I remember because Des Clark told a joke which sounded like a Chick Murray joke. But it, it, it wasn't What was your joke? I was like, I've got a trophy girlfriend You know <laughs> Big ears and a shiny face <laughs> <laughs> That's true But, but it, was, it was in the a tradition I checked money Because that was Because what was his Was it my girlfriend's a redhead? No hell It's a redhead <laughs> <laughs> So it was kind of, I think it was inspired, Clarkey was inspired by it. A name we've not even mentioned so far, and we're half an hour into this, Bob Monkhouse. Yes. Yes. My dad hated him. <laughs> My old man. But there was two Bob Monkhouse women. There was a kind of club comedian in the, in the shiny happy face in the uh, The television. TV presenter, aye. Because he was a, t- I mean, I never knew he was a comedian when I was a kid. I, I knew him as a TV presenter. But he was one of the greatest comedians ever, by the way. And he was a bit OCD about it. But when you see documentaries about him or read anything about him, he was like, everything he taped, everything recorded and written down. And uh, all these books and stuff, which reminded me of something, actually. (laughs) One of his jokes was, he says, I was in church. I can't believe I was in church. There's a lady in church smoking. Smoking in church. I mean, I was horrified. I nearly dropped my can of lager. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Just brilliant. See, it's that left turn. You're, you're horrified and you're going, what's going on? And you're just not expecting it. Comedy is simplicity itself. It's saying one thing and then saying something else completely different. And he's completely subverted his outrage and his anger. Because <laughs> you're going, what's he going to say next? Ah, maybe if you be smoking in a chapel, that's an outrage. Suddenly sitting there having a bevy. Huh? It's brilliant. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You see, Jimmy Carr's the natural successor to him. Jimmy kind of copied his style, the sharp suit and the... You know, the nice, good, tanned look and all that. And, and Jimmy oh, does kind of one-liners dead near the... And Monkhouse, see, the, the, when he, imagine when he was in a club. I bet he was awesome. I bet he was I, amazing. But he was very blue, though, wasn't he, compared to the... the as far as we understand, I mean, I... But that's a, 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 maybe a myth. That was his TV thing and it was his live thing. But you, with other years, I've, you know, I've seen TV comics, famous comics, doing club sets. And it's been amazing, and they'll never ever get away with that on, you know, oh, no, I, on the TV, TV. thing. Because that, that the reality is, in a live comedy club, as long as you do it well, you can get away with pretty much anything. I did a gig at a holiday camp, and what happened was, I did forty-five minutes of clean stuff, and I just did my thing, and the room was yeah, wings are in the boot and everything, and nobody listening. And I came after and I went, it was terrible. That's all right, as long as you didn't offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here's your 200 quid. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. Kindly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 200 pound. Oh, he's funny now. <laughs> Maybe tell me before that you, you get your first paid gig pretty early in your career, was it? About Second gig. Second gig. Get 20 pound, man. I did an open spot and then he says, come back and I'll give you 20 quid. And I went, this, and then my third gig, I get 30 quid. And then 14 years later, I finally get my first paid gig. No, I get paid <laughs> quickly. I mean, within three years of starting, I was kind of making amazing money for the, the gig scene. I mean, I had to start to do like tax returns very early on. Yeah, I was still working, but you've got to do a self-assessment because your money's coming in and then you need to pay your tax on it. Through that, uh, the misery of lockdown, of course, live comedy pretty much disappeared. Well, it did disappear, obviously disappeared. It's back now. I don't know how much opportunity you've had as we, you know, come out of the summer of 2021. To, to, uh, are, are you... I'll get, I was gigging pretty much constantly as soon as it came back. And you know what? I, my great comedic talent, <laughs> some would argue I never had any, had <laughs> clearly not atrophized. Oh, no. I no, mean... I was like straight back getting banged right into it. No oh. bother. Of all the of all the gigs you've been at or, or the gigs you've seen, the, the temptation must be for every day to come out with the same jokes about COVID and lockdown and all that stuff. There's a secret to avoid it. If you feel a compulsion to talk about it, I would say if you're going to talk about it, say something funny about it. If you guys say something funny about it, don't talk about it. It's the opposite of you. If you get nothing nice to say, shut your shut mouth. mouth. Aye. Aye. If you can make what you've got to say about lockdown unique. And special, you know, somehow. Don't just go on and bang on about, you know, we're politicians of whatever hue. Because we were on the house. Well, we, we, the, all yeah. seen, we all seen it was well, said one on. One of the jokes I go after coming out of kind of lockdown and all that was, I mean, I feel sorry for people. I mean, I was bad enough, right? I couldn't do my gig, but I felt sorry for sex workers. And what is a sex worker anyway? Maybe I'm a sex worker. See, for me, trying to get sex, that's work. <laughs> <laughs> It's going on today with COVID. It's kind of COVID, is Yeah, I mean, they yeah, I mean no, I but you look at me and you go, but you look at me and you go, I know you kind of see me on the podcast, but I'm a rather large uh, old fella. And uh, people go, yeah. I'm, see, that's, see, that's essentially true about me. I would imagine for you getting sex as hard work. <laughs> I'm just laughing here at some of these jokes we've got in front of us. Devastating news from the Nestle factory today. A night shift worker was crushed beneath a case of chocolate that fell 20 feet off a storage rack. He called for help repeatedly, but every time he shouted, the milky bars are on me, his colleagues just cheered. <laughs> Brilliant. Again, no idea who, who was responsible for that. We've also proved tonight that you can be funny. Well, hope we've proved that. You can you can tell jokes and you don't have to swear, which is good because we don't really want to fill it too much with... I, I, think, I don't think we have... I, I, I think it's been quite clean. It has been quite clean. clean. But uh, the reason I mention that, sorry, the, the reason I mention it is uh, if somebody asks me who my favourite comedian is, apart from your good selves, is a guy called Milton Jones. And if you don't know who Milton Jones Milton's is... Milton's great. Well, he, he, wears, he used to gig with Milton before he made his ascension into comedy heaven. <laughs> comedy heaven. <laughs> he wears a Hawaiian shirt and he's got mad hair. Yeah. And uh, he tells something like 250 jokes a show. And he doesn't swear, never swears, yeah. but, it's just, but it's great. It's in, and I've got one of his in front, in front of me at the moment. To the man in crutches, dressed in camouflage, who stole my wallet. You can hide, but you can't run. Genius. <laughs> yeah, Milton. He, Milton is a great stage person. He does that as if he's a bit slightly spaced out, kind of as if he's a bit, you know, dipper or something. And it, it's a great act, and that's mm-hmm. that's what he's been doing for his first gig to him way back early noughties. We did Jonglers in Leicester. I always remember it. That was the first time I met him. I always remember when I met people for the first time, mm-hmm. and that's when I met Milton. And then it was me, him, and Davy Johns. Oh, Davy! And and what was funny? We went to the pictures the night the next day, and Davy got in on an OAP ticket, and he wasn't <laughs> like he wasn't the old then. This was twenty years ago. <laughs> but to be fair, he's 
always looked that old. He's always looked old, though, aye. He's always looked old. Well, Kevin Bridges remembers when he met both of you because if you read his book, Raymond and Scott, in his first couple of gigs and how aye. impressed he was by both of you and how, particularly as yourself, Raymond, in that we've discussed this before, I think he had a fairly, in his opinion, disastrous second or third gig and you were on the bill that I night. I think he thought I, it was. I was at the second gig, so it must have been I the third. So. I think Actually, it was the third. It's an occupational the... hazard, isn't it? Aye. But he was ready for, he was ready for rapping it and you, and that early and you took him aside and, and you gave him a pep talk. But that's what I would have done. I don't particularly remember it so much. I, but that's what I would say. What are you doing? But behave yourself. We're not fighting the Taliban here. We're just, we're just telling jokes. I, I don't have a specific recollection sure. of that. But I, Kevin and I became good pals. And he's funny, he's the same age as like my daughter. Like my daughter and my son, they'd been, we'd go back to my house, we'd have a drink, we'd sit up all night drinking, then I'd kind of make breakfast in the, in the morning and... My wings and go, my dad's got a pal the same age as us. <laughs> you old weirdo. <laughs> what are you what's your, what's your recollections of our young Kevin Bridges, Scott? Well, it was it was in the state bar. It was a Saturday night. Uh, I remember him coming with his brother. We were sat at the bar, just at the side of the stage. This I mean, is in Glasgow for anyone. In Glasgow, the state yeah. bar on Sucky Hill Street in Glasgow. I was just sat by them. And at the time I was doing this quite kind of camp hairdresser character. So I just sat and had a normal conversation. With, with Kevin My time to go up And then I was like Alright how's it gone To empty man A wee bit of speed How's yourself <laughs> <laughs> And then went back And sat down Right like, About 20 minutes Of homosexual filth Off me And Kevin's like that He's like um, I don't think I've ever met A gay guy before He actually gave But I am You know And um, he'd been what 6, 17 at that time He was about 16, 17 He so was 17 when he started I mean, Do you know who was on after him Right <laughs> Just talk about A baptism of fire Him and his brother There was There was a A, a, a trans act called um, Prue who shaved her hair so she was half bald do you remember Prue <laughs> she was half I don't... bald and the kind of goth sort of eyeliner makeup who done poetry and shouted and screamed oh, a proper a, a stand up circuit sort of stalwart at that point um, an open spot that would sort of appear I, Prudence I don't, Prudence I don't, was it Prudence I don't remember this person uh, I sort of was blessed having his I brother I was clearly playing in a higher league in the time oh, you would have been in that time you know <laughs> uh, but these two boys you know for Clyde Bank and I went oh the world's a wee bit different you know but I think he says that in his welcome book welcome to the big city but, boys welcome to the big city you know brilliant we've been pals ever since you Kevin know, was phenomenal he was just uh, very driven excellent and it's that. wonderful that he just he's never had a job that's just what he done he, he made the decision I remember always saying to him listen get out of this country get down to London you're still young and get out of all that nonsense about you know your, your accent and all that just go there's a whole wide world out here don't stay in Scotland get out of Scotland as much as you can and just swim in a bigger ocean and maybe within about three four years I don't know what year it was 2007 2008 all the, all the agents in Edinburgh were chasing after him yeah, and I'd come in I'd come in, in my dressing room at the stand and there's Richard Bucknell I went oh Richard how are you doing and you finally come to sign me up and says no have you seen Kevin Bridges well thank you very much <laughs> So I was my old jobs manager in Sue Perkins. But this this man, Mr. Merns, because uh, when, when I first started, <laughs> I have to be honest, I did, I, I idolised Raymond, I just thought You have he to was... be very careful. People say things about me now, I have absolutely no recollection, recollection of any right. of it. Right. And every time... People make stuff up. No, I'm not making stuff up, <laughs> don't you start... Every time I happened to be on the bill with him, I would I was inconsistent at this point, shall we say, at, at best. So I was early doors, but as soon as he walked in the room, I would die in my absolute hoop, right? I was <laughs> I would get nervous, I would get excited, I would just die in my hoop. And then 
it must have been it must have been about a year and a half after I'd first started gigging. I had a good gig in front of you in what was Barzoo. Like I'm a bit, I suppose I must have got carried away with the compliment of what I thought was a compliment because it says to me, yeah, ah, oh, big man, you remind me a lot of myself. I was shite for the first two years as well. <laughs> 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 oh, heavens above. Do you know that's a compliment? That was that's a compliment. compliment. <laughs> I very nearly get the pleasure of being on stage with Raymond as well. So, my, my, Mario. Oh, 2020, French Eye, we were going we were, to, you were going to do you, I was going to do a wee, but Gary and I, yeah. You and Gary Little very, very kindly invited me along to do a wee five minutes for about a week. And, and I was going to work my socks off as well. You're going to have me out in the street with the flyers and Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. You were and, there to earn our keep. <laughs> <laughs> Do a proper, put a proper shift in, get up to strangers. Uh, strangers. You're not going to get any money out of the bucket. No. <laughs> That's how I started. I started off. The brother I, Glenn Reformer. I, I guess that was because um, I'd, I'd went to school with Des Clark uh, and Des Clark had got to the final. He got to the final every comedy competition you could get, you could do at that point. Um, he got to the final of the So You Think You're Funny competition and I was working on the Rutherland Reformer, which was his, kind of, it, was his it was our local paper because went to school as well, so I knew him. Uh, and that was that was my first introduction when I went to bar ten on the eighth of May two thousand. Uh, it was a Sunday night. I remember it for odd reasons. And I, I rocked up and <laughs> inspired by Mister Merns because I'd been going to watch gigs. I went and bought myself a kind of Hawaiian shirt. Was <laughs> that wore Hawaiian shirts? You used to wear Hawaiian shirts. I knew them back wearing them. <laughs> I wear them again. That was my first time doing it, and I. Completely not to get the bug for it. Uh, I was, I had a real because the audience was full of friends and family and colleagues and things like that. So it was a kind of easy ride, and I had a wonderful first gig and a nice big double page spread about it in the rather going reformer. But te- had hints and tips with days. I went back the next Sunday and died in my backside. <laughs> so I did. It's an occupational hazard. That's what's unfortunate. I think. But there's something. I suppose there's something easier about performing in front of several hundred people. Well, let's take the red draw night at the stand uh-huh. on a Tuesday, right? It's always absolutely rammed. It's rammed because yeah. it's cheap drink and it's cheap to get in. Yeah. And 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 folk are going to try new material and they'll see people trying it for the first time. So that, so it's a bit like a kind of you know there's an incentive to go to go along. Uh-huh. And it's always mobbed. I hope it'll be mobbed again. You know, we don't know what's happening. Uh-huh. With sure. that, but 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 then, but then you go and maybe play in front of six people in a dug. The, the the mistake you would make in that setting is that you would try and overcompensate. So if uh-huh. if you're sitting in front of six people or a tiny audience and you're being paid to be there, you would try and make it bigger and louder to overcompensate for what you see as a lack of an audience or any energy. See, the truth is, you don't approach it any different for any other gig. You've got the mic, you've got the light. Do you know what? Just give them, give them what you've got. Just do your thing. But a lot of people make that mistake. One of my best ever friends was, was in front of, I think, four people. Do you know Men. Julia, Julia Chamberlain, who used to be the booker for the for, for Jonglers uh, and runs the So You Think the Funny competition. And she was dropping in with a pal and there was literally two other tickets sold. So this is somebody that's got a bit of sway Huge in the industry. about your, you know, about your earning potential. And I'm like, I can't pull this because she's in. Got and to do it. Got to do it. To be fair, she went, I'm just here. She went, I've come to see you because I like you. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, that was Julia a really nice lovely. thing to see. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sort of relaxed you. So I just kind of went, right. I never mentioned the fact there was four folk and we just went with it. And I mean, that sounds, <laughs> this is no, it's no often you can see you rocked a gig with four people, but it genuinely felt like that. You kind of uh, walked out. Like, that, was, nice. that was brilliant, but it, it doesn't often happen like that. But Kevin Gildee did a gig at the Edinburgh Festival to one person. <laughs> one man. And Kevin's, Brilliant. Kevin's absolutely yeah, fantastic. He's, he's just, well, he's such a lovely guy. We've been friends for years. 
and he says, and I went on, and there's just one guy sitting there. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Hello, sir. How are you? A lovely Sligo accent. I get and it's meant to, but there was another, that wasn't the worst I heard about. There was, <laughs> the one I heard about was this, this gig in Edinburgh where this act came on and had a costume change. This act came on at Edinburgh somewhere and then there were only two people in the audience, but you couldn't see they were in the audience, but there was two people in. Went after the costume change, came back out, finished the show, but the two people had left. <laughs> <laughs> the costume change. Oh, Christ. I mean, the one I had, I, I remember taking over Ian Cognito's sh- uh, slot in uh, 1994 when Ricky Grover knocked him Ricky out, Grover, right? Aye. So I spoke to his gaffer, his manager, and I went, can I take the space? He says, do what you like. So I went through to Edinburgh every night and one night I turns up, there's two guys come in. It was a Spanish guy and a Portuguese guy. Just two people in the audience. Now, the Spanish guy didn't speak English, but the Portuguese guy spoke Spanish and English, as well as obviously, I presume, Portuguese. I said, so here's what we'll do. I'll tell you the joke, you tell him the joke, and that's how we'll do it. So the guy goes, si, senor. So I goes, so I says, uh, two guys walk into a boozer. He goes, uh, uh, dos amigos I walks into a bodega Right whatever And then <laughs> <laughs> He basically When I've told him The punchline He did this He went <sighs> <laughs> And then he turned And told his mate The joke Then his mate laughed <laughs> <laughs> An hour of that What a gig man £13.50 <laughs> a ticket £27 up There we go Time has never Time has never passed So quick as it has With this Because I've absolutely Loved it in a minute So see before we start To wind up Let's each pick one gag from the list we've got in front of us, and uh, or one of your own, or whatever that you've got, you, you, with you've got, or, and, and and then we can finally decide whether any of these are better than the talking dog. Well, I, I think it's a good one. Every ten years, the monks in the monastery are allowed to break their vow of silence to speak just two words. Ten years goodbye, and it's one monk's first chance. Thanks for a second before saying terrible food. Ten years later, he says hard bed. It's the big day. A decade later, he gives the head monk a long stare and says. I quit. Head monk says, I'm no surprised you've been complaining since you got here. <laughs> Quite like that Peter K one. The, I, met, I met a Dutch girl with inflatable shoes last week, phoned her up to arrange a date, but unfortunately she'd popped her clogs. <laughs> here's, here's one. It's the Tommy Cooper. It's just an absolute belter. The man goes to the, the psychiatrist and says he can't help it, but he feels like a puppy. The psychiatrist says, well, why don't you just lie down on the couch? He says, I'm not allowed in the couch. <laughs> no, a guy goes into a dentist. A guy goes into a dentist and the dentist says, how can I help you? He says, I think I'm a moth. And the dentist says, well, you need a psychiatrist. He says, I'm seeing a psychiatrist. He says, well, what are you doing in here? Your light was on. <laughs> I think we're all agreed that the talking dog's the best one we've heard tonight. And, and it's because the punchline... Aye. Just, and, and, why would you get rid of such an amazing animal? Nah, He's a lying bastard. Do you know that way when you win the Eurovision Song Contest? Like, you know, you've you've obviously happened to you a few times, you've won the Eurovision Song Contest, but the winning song, they get to play it again at the end. Do you want to tell the uh, yeah, talking dog? Tell the joke, right. Okay, this guy sees this sign that says, Talking dog for sale. So the guy's absolutely intrigued. So he says, oh, again, have a look at that. He walks in, he looks at the dog and he says, So uh, what have you done with your life? And the dog says, I've led a very foul life. First, I was trained by the Swiss Army. I lived in the Alps and I was rescuing avalanche victims. Then I served in the army in Iraq. And lately, I've actually been out in Germany saving people in the terrible floods. And the guy's just in awe. The dog and he turns to the owner and he says, well, 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 why would you get rid of such an amazing animal? And the owner says, he's a lying bastard. I've never done any of that. <laughs> Raymond Mayor Scott Agnew, we've covered just about every subject under the sun. It's fantastic. 
Thanks for joining us, Scott. You're looking great. You're looking well. Thank you. Hope you have a, a good a good 2022. You get back on stage doing your best at. Oh, we'll see. Here, here. No, <laughs> Raymond, no, you, you get no. back, Dana. Right. And Raymond, best of luck with the new project and the podcast as well. Really looking there's forward a, to that. Uh, there's a few things coming up. There's a few things coming up, well, baby. I'm so, trying to stay busy. Guys, thanks very much again. Take care. All the best. The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corey. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50. Pillows from only £6. And lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corrie Winter Sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorrie.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corrie, the curtain bedding specialists. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.